Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball, pull the Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Fantasy baseball today starts right now. I am Chris Welsh. That is Scott White. Thank you for tuning in. And Andrew Heaney is a beast. We talked about him last week, Mr. Scott White. Andrew Haney tallied a career-high 14 strikeouts over eight innings on Tuesday. Gave up one run against the Angels. Got a win through 20 of 28 first-pitch strikes. Only 63% owned in CBS. We talked him up. Now he's doing all the business, Scott. Yeah, this was the upside we were talking about. Now, this was not the Rangers' A lineup he was facing. It was the first game of a doubleheader. Uh, but, you know, it had... Willie Calhoun in it. It had Hunter Pence. It, it had some major league hitters in it, right? Yeah, let's not, and, not get excited about Andrew Haney. This is the guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just kind of responding to uh, some of the feedback. Um, you know, there, there have been plenty of fakeouts for Andrew Haney in the past. Sure. Let's just say that. But to put it into context, 14 strikeouts, no walks, and a mm. start. The only other pitchers who've done that this year, they're all... Guys, we considered best of the best among starting pitchers. Uh, Chris Sale, Chris Sale, <laughs> Justin Verlander, uh, Garrett Cole, Walker Bueller. Uh, I can't read my writing here. It's six guys basically of that elk, though. And now Andrew Heaney is. <laughs> Do you have like that Doctor Scribble writing? The amount of times like my wife has given me a grocery list and they she hasn't texted to me, and I take it and I go. I don't know what jibber jabber is. Please text this to me. I don't know what you wrote. <laughs> Do you have that type uh, of writing? Uh, yes, there are times I cannot decipher my own writing. What would you? Can, what would you try Scherzer, to decipher? It's Scherzer and Bieber. Okay. Those were the two names. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I was going to say, take a guess and a stab at what the deciphering. If you were decoding your own writing, what yeah. that would be. How um how rest of the season comfortable are you with Andrew Haney? I mean that outing. To your point, it's not the A lineup. But there are positives with no walks, 20 of 28 first pitch strikes. I mean, he yeah, was really commanding the zone. That's, 22 swinging strikes. That's, and that's the, he has three games now, three starts, and he's only had 12 because he spent so much time on the IL. Three of his 12 starts, 12 or, or 20 plus swinging strikes. Clayton Kershaw doesn't have a single start with 20 swinging strikes in it this year. So that, that kind of puts it in perspective. That's, that's rare company. That he's in when when you do that in a game, it's like among the best swinging strike totals for any pitcher all season, and he's done it three times. Heaney has, so I mean, it was a two start week this week. It, it was this week was probably the time to pick him up and use him. So obviously that ship has sailed if you didn't do it. But um, you know, I everybody needs pitching help, and I don't know why you wouldn't act on this start. Unless you're just loaded at starting pitcher, and so few people are. I don't know why you wanted to act on this start and pick him up. Yeah, are you, are you apprehensive at all? You sound a little apprehensive of, like, moving forward rest of season with him. Because, like I said, he's... I, I mean, Track this record. is his third start with 20-plus swinging strikes. That means he had two earlier, and I probably got super excited about both of those. And uh, and no, and obviously, there there are multiple years of this. There were times last year, which... You know, last year was probably his best in the majors. He still had an ERA over four. Um, but, you know, he was he was probably rostered for most of the season. And uh, he, he was somebody I liked to take another step forward this season. Now, injuries have prevented that from happening. But it's not over yet. There's six weeks to go. Maybe he... Maybe he has such a strong finish that he's one of the most buzzed about starting pitchers uh, heading into draft season next year, a guy who, you know, is on everybody's breakouts list or whatever. I think he has that kind of potential. Obviously, I don't have a crystal ball, but among the pitchers who are owned in less than 70% of leagues, I don't think there's an obvious candidate to get more excited about than Heaney coming off this start. Okay, let me let me do this then. Let me I'm gonna even jump down our show sheet notes here, and I've got a section of middle of the pack starting pitching because I think this is important with Andrew Haney because this is the type of guy. If we're truly only sitting at a guy that's 63 percent owned, obviously people would be jumping to the wire after that start. Here's a couple of middle of the pack starters from Tuesday that 
uh, went off and one who's higher owned that struggled a little bit. Steven Matz, who's 78% owned, went six and one third, gave up a earned run, struck out seven. Five of his last six quality starts he has five of his last six five of his last six starts are quality starts including a complete game shutout he's got atlanta a couple more brad keller who's 73 percent owned these are all players more owned than andrew haney went six uh didn't give up any runs walked two struck out four he's got eight straight games of six or more innings and six quality starts in that time michael pineda 80 percent Owned, but only 50% started, which I thought was interesting. Did give up four on Tuesday, went seven, struck out four. The first time in seven games, giving up more than three earned runs, and he's got five quality starts. And then the last one I throw to you, Aaron Sanchez, who has owned more than any of those guys, 83% owned, had kind of a dud, only went two and one third, gave up three earned runs, I believe only struck out, what is it? He walked two, struck out one, and he yep. only had 46 total pitches in the game. So I threw out yeah. a lot at you here. Those yeah. four pitchers compared to Andrew Haney, would you own Haney over any or all of those guys? I think Heaney has the most upside of this group. I am including Aaron Sanchez in that, who I think, you know, he he fit the narrative so well of, Pitcher known to have talent goes to Houston, and oh my goodness, he throws a partial no-hitter his first start there, and the second start's decent too. And there were some small tweaks to his arsenal, but it wasn't anything major, and it's not like he was missing a ton more bats, and now his last two starts have been pretty much what we were used to seeing from Aaron Sanchez in Toronto. I'm not saying Houston can't figure out anything with him, but there's not clear enough evidence to me that they have. So he's... He's not a big priority right now, Aaron Sanchez. Uh, like like I said, I think Heaney has the most upside of this group. We're at a point now in the season where I don't know that selling out for upside is necessarily the right move. Depends on your situation, obviously. Uh, but if you're trying to lock up a playoff spot or uh, you know you really need to preserve ratios, uh, I think the safest of this group is Brad Keller who just by virtue of being an elite ground ball pitcher, uh, and now that he's efficient again, he had walk walk issues earlier in the year, but those have not popped up recently. And I think now Keller has uh, five of his last seven have been quality starts. So I think Brad Keller is somebody who I would have a very hard time cutting loose, especially in a points league. I mean, points league, innings eater, you can start a bit relief pitcher. And I think you answered with Brad Keller where I was going to ask you is let's say if we're saying the upside is with Haney here, because this is important because also there's like a, there could be a 20% own percentage swing here from Aaron Sanchez to Andrew Haney. So he legit might be out there. So if people were out cutting Mats or Keller or Pineda or Sanchez to pick up Haney, what I was going to ask is if any of those, if all four of those hit the wire, who's the guy you're picking up? Sounds like Keller is the one that you are jumping to pick up in the aftermath of the Haney pickup sweepstakes. Yeah. Now, if it's for a bench spot, then I would go Heaney. I might go, I, I might go Mats. Mats is like, Mats is one of those real pitchers who's hard to figure out because the strikeout rate is usually decent, and yet, um, sort of the the other ways we would measure a pitcher's stuff, he doesn't rate very high at all, and yet he manages to get a decent number of strikeouts. So you know, ultimately, isn't that what matters the most? Probably. I just don't. I just never trust it fully that Matz is really when he's going well that he's really as good as he seems. Um, but if if I was just ranking all of these, just you know, throwing all the all the other uh, criteria out, just ranking them in terms of how much I'd want to roster them, and just kind of a in, in a vacuum, I would probably say Keller, then Heaney, then Matz, then Pineda, then Sanchez. Okay, I like that rank. Uh, it is. Worryometer Wednesday. Don't worry, everybody. I didn't forget. Speaking of Worryometer, I'm a little worried about something and uh, meters here. I don't want to project by any means here, Scott. Our relationship is still building, of course. But <laughs> I take you for a 76 to 78 degrees in your house temperature type of guy. Am I accurate on that? Mm, well, I live in South Florida. Okay, uh, so, so I don't like know. Me? I don't know what the underlying assumption of that is. I, I, I think you're suggesting I'm frugal. No, I actually. Well, I'm. You know, uh, that's a good point. Uh, psychologically, 
that might be in there because thinking of the peeps in the sugar, I was kind of thinking that. <laughs> I'm a so, sugar so expensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> no, it's it's that meme that's going around. There or this lady who was talking about the the pure core temperature that houses should have. And it's just the wildest thing. We don't have to go on to a thing with it. But okay. I don't, you're kind of a skinnier guy. I'm a bigger guy. I looked at that, and they said the median temperature a house should be is no less than 78 degrees. And I lost my mind because if it's, over, if it's over 75 degrees, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm screaming. Well, I'm running around. The reason I said I live in South Florida is, you know, when I, I, I haven't always lived here, of course. And when I lived in more temperate climates, I, I could probably do that with the thermostat but the issue is when the air air conditioner is not kicking in the humidity mm. is suffocating so even it, it's less about even bringing the temperature down than just eliminating the moisture so you have to just keep it running yeah pretty pretty much okay yeah so right, low good. 70s oh good okay you know what go team us because arizona florida we're running low 70s temperature so that lady with her analytical research go away I don't want to hear it. I don't need to see any more of that stuff. Uh, here's what's going on around baseball. It's the things that you guys care about. Corey Kluber with the Indians. He has got an oblique strain. He had a little bit of a setback in his rehab start. He is now at least out for two weeks. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks is what they said. So that already pushes in, us into September. I got to ask the tough question here, Scott. Do you drop Corey Kluber at this point? Uh, obviously, we're talking about a situation. Well, maybe not obviously. You may have other IL priorities, but um, obviously if there's a free IL spot, you stash him. Otherwise, um, it would depend on my needs. I, you know, I, if it's Heaney or Keller, it doesn't matter who else it is. None of them have the potential to impact your roster the way Corey Kluber do, uh, would. I suppose the only pitcher out there who might is Jesus Luzardo, himself coming back from an injury suffered on a rehab assignment. Uh, so that's, that's been a recurring theme among quality pitchers. But like, I, I think I, I, if it's only two weeks, Kluber shouldn't have to start the rehab from the beginning. You know, if he has to start the rehab from the beginning, that's it. He's probably done. And I guess that's where I was going. I think I phrased the question maybe incorrectly to you is this isn't a sales situation where we know he's shut down. It's just, he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. Right. That doesn't give any guarantee that he's back. So let's say he does need to go through a full stint because he just had a setback in a rehab. I don't see this as a two-week thing. I actually start to look at this as at least three and a half weeks where I would see Corey Kluber. So it becomes about juice, juice being worth the squeeze. You know, if Andrew Heaney was yeah. out there, do you drop Kluber at this point? Especially, I mean, if you're in first place, you got the IL spot, your first, second, third, whatever. You know the situations where you don't yeah. have to worry. But I think the pers there's a lot of people out there that are genuinely being like, I don't know if Corey Kluber is someone I need to even hold anymore. No, it's a reasonable question, and I'm not going to definitively say you're wrong if you drop him. Uh, I, Whenever possible, and I know this is kind of the opposite argument I was making for Keller, but whenever possible, when I have bench spots to play with, uh, I want those spots filled with as much potential impact as I can get. And um, you know, so if there's any percentage chance, if there's 25% chance Kluber could make, you know, three or four starts for me down the stretch, uh, I'm going to hold out for that rather than take another flyer on Heaney. Now, that changes if Heaney goes and dominates at Houston next time out. But probably <laughs> but not available anymore, though. Understood. Uh but if he performs at Houston like I expect him to perform, which mm -hmm. is probably not going to be so great, then I won't be willing to start Heaney next week. And so then you're just talking another bench option like Kluber would be. Okay, that's a fair enough point. Um, it might be a little bit easier for Haney because Astros manager AJ Hinch said that he is not optimistic that shortstop Carlos Correa will be able to avoid the 10-day IL. Carlos Correa, I think I, I've been saying it for the last year over on uh, in this league, but... Carlos Correa is the Giancarlo Stanton of shortstops. And maybe that's even giving him a little too much. The The potential that we put on the guy is skyrocket high, but he just cannot stay healthy. It's looking that way. And he's 24 years old, Crazy. which is, you know, he's five years younger than Stanton. But to have back, like back issues are the sort of things that can plague you for life. I mean, uh, Kershaw 
five years into his, seems to have finally had a quiet year without them. Knock on wood. Uh, but, you know, they they kind of sidetracked Todd Helton's career and did what seemed like an obvious Hall of Fame track there. Um, yeah, you know, 24 is so young. Who knows? Who knows which way this is going to go? But shortstop has become so deep. Uh, is Correa even going to be a top 10 option next year? If you At know, the position? Yeah, at the, at the position. Yeah, yes. um, I think that's a great question. I'm not sure he is, man. I he will be drafted as such. He absolutely will be drafted as such. I don't, I don't know that he necessarily will because you got. I'd have to pull up my shortstop rankings to get into it fully, but you yeah, have. I mean, you got Turner, Lindor, mm-hmm. um, Bogarts, Bogarts, Bregman, Bregman Ma- Ma- Mondesi. Which that might be a little bit of a question. Points league, that's not really close, but um, I don't know. I think he's still going to be just. Tatis Jr., yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's at least six for sure, not counting Mondesi that we've done off the top I'm gonna of our head. I'm going to pull it up because I think, I think you'd be surprised who we're forgetting here. Yeah, no, we're definitely uh, forgetting like two guys right now okay, that people so are screaming. So Ketel Marte and Javier Baez aren't going to be eligible there anymore. All right, so let's let's just start from the top. Okay. Alex Bregman, Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, oh, yeah. Trey Turner. That's five. Yep. Who would definitely and go ahead and forgot Story. That was a one. Okay. Uh, Glaber Torres, That's six. maybe, maybe Fernando Tatis. I think definitely, definitely. Um, and you mentioned Alberto Mondesi, maybe in a maybe in a categories league he would. Okay. Um, and then probably I mean that- the next highest is either Bobachet, maybe he's already in that discussion, or Jorge Polanco. So that those that that might get to more where you lean toward. Uh, Correa, but that's what that's that's at least seven, at least seven. If we were adding yeah. Mondesi in there, I mean, it's still it pushes him down. We had this conversation last week, I think, too, Scott. Where we remember we were talking about maybe middle infield becoming the quarterback tier. You know, you just you tear up a bunch of guys and you take the cheapest cost. I don't think Correa is still going to be that. We still buy on the potential, even if Stanton comes back for uh, two weeks and hits a yeah. couple homers in that time. Everyone's just going to have amnesia and we're going to draft him at least two rounds more than we probably should, you know, without like baking in the concern. And I think that's the same thing with Correa because we still do that. I saw just the other day someone putting out the per 162 of like 40 something homers with Correa and they just you, you play those games and we give ourselves a false sense of security. I think I'm out. I'm out on paying high prices for Carlos Correa now. That's me. Well, yeah, I mean. The, with Stanton, if we're going to further that comparison, I think there is a case to be made that he's showing signs of an age decline. Uh, I mean, just the the combination of injuries this year itself is an indicator of that. And then just the way his strikeouts spiked in New York last year. Um, but getting back to the, I, I should mention that I, I said Baez isn't going to be eligible. Javier Baez wouldn't be eligible at shortstop next year. He's not going to be eligible at second. Shortstop is pretty much the only position he's played this year. So that adds another to that list. Now Correa yeah. is really Eight. right there at 10. Or Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, you're definitely in that camp. It's an interesting argument, but um, Carlos Correa most likely going to hit the IL. You can have some high hopes for September. Uh, going through some of the other notes and injury stuff, Mike Trout set a career high with his 42nd homer uh, in the first half of Tuesday's doubleheader against the Rangers. Just want to point that out. Mike Trout still doing the thing now uh I think it was 300 and 400 something OBP. Robbie Ray threw a 35 pitch bullpen session on Tuesday, said he felt good. He was on the injured list as of August 15th with the back spasms. And so far this season, a 399 ERA, 187 strikeouts to 63 walks and 142 innings. So that would be positive. Austin Riley hoping to uh, begin a rehab assignment this week. I don't think that has a whole lot of concern for us, but this one might. Chris Archer exited the uh, start on Tuesday night against the Nationals due to due to right shoulder discomfort. Scott, Uh-oh. yeah, and I I think it was coming just at a time when he was starting to look like you might be able to rely on him again, if only at the back end of your rotation. And we don't know the severity of it. Maybe they just skip him a turn or whatever. Uh, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That, you know, I don't want to overreact. Yeah, okay. I would probably drop him for Heaney. Uh, yes, I'm 100% with you. Ramon Lariano had a successful running session on Tuesday. Uh, keep that if he's uh, looming around the wire, especially if he comes back for September. 
Uh, Seattle ca- catcher Tom Murphy started again and homered again against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay didn't start a left-hander, but used Jalen Beeks after the opener. And I believe Seattle also used, used an opener in that game, too. Two openers, and that was interesting. Enrique Hernandez and Chris Taylor are coming off the IL, but Alex Verdugo will not be back until after the uh, September starts. September 1st, I think he's eligible. He will not be there. Domingo Santana is going on the IL with elbow inflammation. Uh, some games in progress right now as we're recording. Colorado and the Diamondbacks, they are locked up uh, 3-3 in the 6 as we're going. Nick Ahmed and Nolan Arenado have hit homers. Yankees and A's, A's are up 4-1. to Definitely going to be looking if A.J. Puck does anything. And then the Dodgers are up on the Blue Jays 5-2 to in the 4th as we're recording this. Bo Bichette with a homer. Will Smith with another homer. Uh, before we go to break, standouts. You got any Tuesday standouts that uh, you want to hit? So let's talk about the... The call-up news, well, one of the two big call-up items. There's another one that I'm sure we'll get to later. Yes. Um, But Nick Solak, called up by the Rangers, started both games of the doubleheader, first at DH, the second at second base. He went one for three in each of those games, homered in the second one. So that's a nice start to his career. He hit 289 with 27 homers and an 894 OPS between two, two stops. He was a triple-A both. He got traded midseason from the Rays to the Rangers, and actually that was his third organization. He began with the Yankees, so he's kind of, you know, he's kind of been a hot potato prospect, but a prospect in, you know, not top 100, but just kind of outside of that group where there's some people who kind of question the ultimate ceiling, but the production's always been pretty nice for Solak. Uh, always pretty good power, some good on-base skills. Speed is been there at times, though not so much this year. I wouldn't count on him in the major league environment running much. But, uh, you know, considering Texas is going to be his home venue, if, you know, today's two starts is an indication he's going to play a lot, I, I I think he becomes interesting. Interesting and kind of maybe that, uh, um, I always forget the guy's name, Van something for the Reds. Kind of maybe on that level of... Oh, Josh Van Meter? Josh Van Meter. Thank you. Ah, I talk about Josh Van Meter in a little bit. Okay, yes. in the Josh Van Meter realm. Yeah, and also somebody yeah. tweeted you and me, and people can do that. Um, is it the Welsh and uh, Scott White? CBS Scott White? At, at CBS Scott White. Yeah, yeah. at CBS Company Scott Man. White. That's right. I appreciate that. Um, somebody <laughs> had tweeted us about Nick Solak asking, was he uh, the 26th man? And that was not the case. It was actually Brock Burke, who we'll talk about in a little bit. He's immediately going to be optioned after his game. Nick Solak replaced uh, Nomar Mazzara, so he should be up for a little bit. He started at second in one of those games. Odor went to DH, so he's not a bad option. So I like that. Uh, is that are you good on standouts though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's there's more show to come, but yeah, let's we'll 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 save it. Speaking of which. Warriometer is coming up. Let's take a little break here. We've got Warriometer. We will have more prospects, bunch of other bombs in here, some deep league stuff, and even some of your emails. So let's hit that break and let's get to that Warriometer Wednesday. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Worryometer Wednesday. Am I doing it right, Scott? Does Azer have any other buildup for Worryometer Wednesday? Any sounders? Any things uh, I... like nail biting sound effects or something? <laughs> Fingernails something... on a chalkboard. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I like it. I love Worryometer Wednesday. You were the one that did want to kill Worryometer Wednesday when I came on. You did. Well, there's just, it. there's just always so many meters, and I never know how to calibrate them. 
I never know if I'm being consistent in one meter reading to the next. Okay. Well, in this show, no more thermometers and we'll just stick with worometers. We won't do any, we won't really do any other meters. We don't have to worry about that. But how about this? Josh Bell, worometer, two for 20 with three walks and three Ks. He had that like little tiny thing that happened over a weekend. He started having some high exit velocity. He was hitting the ball hard, had a couple homers. But you know what? The second half has been absolutely disgusting. So where are you at on the Warriometer, Scott White, Josh Bell? I will put that at about at about a five, I think. I finally moved him down in my rankings just today. I had been I had been confidently leaving him there at third overall at first base for me. Um but first base, of course, is a deep position. And you know, it, it was less about me saying Josh Bell, okay, clearly he's not good anymore than saying, okay, but obviously Carlos Santana, Anthony Rizzo, who homered twice today, Pete Alonzo, 40 homer season. Uh, All these guys are good too. And then you throw the first base eligible second baseman, Whit Merrifield and DJ LeMahieu in there too. And suddenly Josh Bell is my number eight first baseman. Mm. So still very high. I mean, my eighth first baseman would probably check into my top 40 players overall. But uh, Josh Bell or Joey Gallo in 2020? Um, I want to say Josh Bell, but he needs he needs to show something over the final six weeks to justify that. Yeah, I'm really worried about him. I, I'm going to put this at like a six and a half if I can uh, get into decimal points here, because like I wasn't a believer coming into this year. Then he made such a big turnaround. Talked about a lot of you know how. Physically, he was taking serious the offseason. He obviously made some changes, was hitting the ball way harder, was seeing the ball better. It looked real, and then it has just plummeted, fallen apart. 211 in the second half, only four homers in 32 games. I mean, the pacing is just atrocious. And at the end of the year, the tough thing, especially for people that haven't necessarily followed along enough, is that the stats are going to be misleading, especially if this continues. So to your point, he's got to show us something in the second half, but I'm going to say Joey Gallo, and I'm going to say a six and a half on the worryometer. Nick Sinzel, who is 79% owned in August, entering Tuesday, only hitting 197, nine runs. He had one steal and two attempts, though I do believe he had two steals on Tuesday night. Uh, 18 yep. strikeouts, two doubles with a 530 OPS. Where are you at, uh, worry wise, on Nick Senzel? Like in terms of this season, uh, probably, probably about a six or seven. I, I'm not confident in him being anything more than maybe an injury fill in for me. Uh, in terms of what it means for his long term prognosis, his ability to meet all the prospect type. I mean, I, I think it's way too early to make a judgment there. And he's done a lot of good things. I mean, he just isn't quite hitting the ball hard enough or elevating it enough to deliver on the power the way he'd need to to stand out in this environment. But he hits the ball to all fields. The strikeout rate is certainly not high. And he's run. He's run more than I expected him to. 12 steals in half a season worth of games it's it's, it's pretty nice i've seen yeah. a lot of nick senzel um, i mentioned this before you know the reds complex i've lived 10 15 minutes away from it so i've gotten to see him you know out in spring training working with taylor Trammell at the time in the outfield super talented hits the ball hard i'd also say there's probably a prospect fatigue in here because i think he's a very prototypical type of hitter i think there's a 2015-ness in him with a high batting average but this is also the most games he's ever played since being a pro since 2016. He's up to 87 oh. total games. Last so you mean literal fatigue? Like yeah, well, I'm tired. saying like not li- we're tired of him, but he's tired. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think <laughs> I made that up there. Actually, it looks like he played. I just about made that up. 119 games in 2017. He's up. He's about 20 games away from that. So when he finishes the season, he'll be into that. But I think there is a literal fatigue that's going on right now with Nick Senzel. And hopefully it's going to turn around. I love him as a bounce back next year. But as far as yeah. this year goes, I would say we're probably, what did you say? Six or seven? I'm at a seven. I kind of hedged and said six or seven. Yeah. Okay. Six and a half then. You can do decimal points here. I'll allow okay. it. Uh, Malik Smith back in the leadoff spot tonight, post all-star break, entering Tuesday, hitting 230 with only 13 runs, 11 steals in 15 attempts. 
a 618 OPS, got five doubles and three triples. Malik Smith, Warriometer, where are we at? Uh, probably like a seven, especially um, now that they called up a potential alternative to Malik mm. Smith in center field. We are going to talk about him. Yes, and that's not even the other prospect news I was referring to. Um, There's so much. And he, of course, being... Jake Fraley. Thank you. Of course, Jake. We're going to talk about you. I come up with that name. Yeah, well, we can can talk about him right now. I was hoping you'd bail me out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I didn't know if you were like... There was kind of like a cool tension that was going on. Like I I didn't know if it was a lead-up. But no, Jake Fraley, very big on hit 298 with a 365 OBP, 19 homers and 22 stolen bases with the Mariners. I believe it's across two levels. He really dominated double-A. Triple-A, he hit a little bit of a wall, but this dude has got some huge power to go along with his big old beard. I saw him just absolutely demolish one at the uh, Mariners complex out here during spring training. There is big power. A lot of people got mixed up with him because they assumed they saw like him hitting 320 or whatever it was at double-A, and then when he came down and was about a 270 hitter in triple-A, people started to panic. This is a guy I think that's like a 275 2020 type of a player. Maybe even like think Mitch Haniger type of stats. I'm very much into Jake Freely. I think he's a major pickup right now. And to your point, that's why I wouldn't be I, I am worried about Malik Smith. I, I yeah. think I agree with you. I'm at a seven. Well, and a good defender, Freely is. Uh you know, speed is speed was one of the even more than the tool. I, I, even more than the power, the speed was a, a tool he was known for coming into this year, and then he's kind of had a pe- nice big power surge this year. So he, he he's interesting, and and uh, I don't think Malik Smith is necessarily, you know, he was great last year, but his skill set doesn't it isn't a great fit in today's environment. And if he's not hitting two ninety, he's not really doing anything offensively, and he's far from hitting two ninety now. Yeah, and, and this also could not even necessarily lead to Malik Smith maybe even completely losing time. It could just push him in the order as well. If you push Malik's right. down to the bottom right. of the order, yeah, that's they, that's fair. It's not like the it's not like the Mariners have a deep lineup. I'd yeah, but it's just, also not like Malik Smith is super exciting in the first place. You're just super chasing right. stolen bases. He's just steals. Yeah, and steals. If you need steals, he's useful. If you don't, he's not. I'd almost rather have uh, Rojas with the Diamondbacks than Malik Smith at this point, even though he wasn't playing tonight. It just depends if you need steel. Sure. That's that's the angle I should have taken in the first place. I like it. All right, last one on the worryometer here. Matt Carpenter, 76% own. He sat versus a lefty on Tuesday night, hitting 215 with 11 homers, 51 walks, 101 strikeouts, 14 doubles, two triples in 95 games, 14 games since coming off the IL, only 214 with a 679 OPS. Worryometer, Matt Carpenter. 10. Ooh. I don't go I don't go 10 very often, but guy in his mid 30s uh shown us nothing all year has been under an underachiever for a long time outside of the middle 4 months of last year. You know, we're talking about 4 years running where you you look at the underlying stats and uh, okay, he should be better. But now I think I think it's too late. I think it's too late to expect a big turnaround from Carpenter, and I I, I mean that not just from a this year perspective, but I I don't see any reason to value him highly going into next year with all the um, emerging infield options, especially at third base. At third base, like I am totally buying into Gio Urshela, and I can't get him in my top twenty in my rest of season rankings at third base. That's how deep that position is. So Carpenter, no chance. I think I'm with you. How often this season have you given a 10, by the way? Would you just estimate? I think that might be the first one. Really? Wow. On the worryometer? Okay. There we go. I don't go. like the worry. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's almost beyond worry at this point. It's just, it's the whatever a meter, whatever meter. That's where we're at with him because I agree. Nine, 10. He just, I don't even, I don't see how he's 76% owned outside of name value at this point. You with me? So- yeah, I, I, he's done nothing to deserve a lineup spot. I mean, he still walks at a good rate, but he's hit so poorly. It's the 324 on base percentage, so who cares? All right, there you go. A little worryometer Wednesday for you guys. Prospects assemble. We had Jake Fraley. We had Nick Solak. The other one you probably were referring to, Justice Sheffield is on his way. 
That's you, the guy. You've been calling it. 33 in the third inning, 32 strikeouts, nine walks with a 1.89 ERA in, in July. This is at double A. 24 and two thirds with 29 strikeouts, five walks. That was a 3.2 ERA in August. All in double A for Justice Sheffield because he was demoted from triple A. He's done pretty solid. He's found himself. He is going to be jumping in and starting on Friday as the Mariners are skipping Yusei Kikuchi and they're going to push him back to next week. So you have you have been leading the Justice Sheffield um, train here. So what do you got? And it's funny because I was a I, I I was kind of alone among people who spend any time evaluating prospects in really not liking Sheffield at all. I mean, he was in my preseason top 100 because I kind of felt like he had to be, but I was purposely trying to push him down and uh, kind of felt like he was ultimately going to wind up in a, in a relief role because small and didn't seem to have a full enough arsenal and major efficiency issues. And this stint to double A, this 12 start stint to double A, just all of that went away. It, it was the best he's ever pitched. But like, okay, just let me throw a couple things in there. I think where a lot of people got excited, and this would be me included, would be I saw Justice Sheffield. He was out here in the Arizona Fall League in 2017. And I remember I was at Scottsdale Stadium. He, he was starting. I think it was his first start. Maybe it was a little bit after. I don't know. It was one. It was the first start I saw him pitch. He went five innings. I think he gave up one hit, struck out eight. Keith Law dropped after the game. He's like, this is the best I've ever seen Justice Sheffield. He looked like he was top command, big stuff. It looked like he was throwing three pitches. He was commanding all of them against some of the top competition. And that got people excited. But take away that if you want to evaluate, like, why are other people in on him? I'm more concerned that he failed so miserably in AAA and had to be demoted. Like, the the being really good at AA doesn't get me super jacked up because he's at an even lower level. And, you know, the baseballs are actually physically different at AAA and AA. So, I don't know. I've actually got I, more worry than anything with him. I, I think it's... I think it's... Uh... Was it confidence? No, I I think it's AAA. I, I and specifically the PCL. You look at pitching numbers in the PCL, which was already far and away. I mean, it was basically it in the California League on their own in terms of inflating pitcher stats and in, in terms yeah. of favoring hitters. And then you put the juiced ball there. Like pitchers don't stand a chance there. That that's part of what made Zach Gallen so exciting. Is oh, he was such an outlier in terms of how he was dominating in that league. Um, but most other pitchers, highly regarded prospects, I mean, they're they're getting pummeled there. So I, you're not I don't wrong about the PCL. You know, you are right. The, like the PCL in general is definitely an environment where you have to take, as you would take like the Cal League with hitting or the hitting stats in AAA, you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because they're going to get hit up. But I don't know, like a guy at this age going down to AA, I mean, you want to speculate, but... Ultimately, at the end of the day, I, I want to home back in here because we're kind of talking about how you kind of thought he was on the uh, the reliever run. Then he fixes mm. himself in double A. Yeah, he's now I mean, getting he, his opportunity. Are you you're all back in that he's a starter for at least the rest of the year? Well, I don't know if he's going to have the innings to make the rest of the year. He's at a career high right now, uh, but I, I'm. I'm more optimistic about his chances of being a quality major league starting pitcher than I've ever been before. And given the state of starting pitching in baseball right now, that means I'm of course making a move to, to add him. Okay. Okay. That's, that's a good, that, I mean, we, we kind of went all over the, I took us in all different places with justice Sheffield, but we got back to the, the core issue here, which, you know, he did fix himself in double a, I say there's a little bit of cautiousness. You have to be there, but there's probably not, you know, too many starts, you know, that you're going to be battling anyways. This is probably a guy that looks a little bit better in points leagues than maybe anywhere else. Am I wrong about that? Do you think you, you, you like him in the other formats or is this a points league guy? I, the, the control was there at double a this year. Now, if we're if we're taking the entirety of his minor league career, he's a bad control pitcher who'll probably hurt you at whip. And just by the fact virtue of pitching for the Mariners, he's probably not going. I mean, who knows? Wins are yeah. so random over a small sample, but it, it, the the odds are against him being a a winner. Um, 
but I, I think he could be an overpowering pitcher, and that's that's something I want in any format. Okay. AJ Puck, I know you guys talked about this yesterday. I was hoping we might get a little bit of uh, action on him because he's officially on the roster right now. No no look at him. But at the same time, it's also most likely in relief. Don't think they're going to put him on the back end. That doesn't matter. matter. Uh, Randy uh, Arozarena was optioned. Tyler O'Neill is back. Only 10% owned. I'm sorry, Harrison Bader. I screwed that up. Harrison, oh, okay. Harrison Bader batted eighth, hit a triple, one for one, two runs, and three walks. Interesting. Yes. Okay, that sounds more familiar. Um, not really. I Not really. I, I think if Harrison Bader wasn't the defensive standout he is, the Cardinals might have already kind of phased him out. Just not... Um, yeah, just not, not enough... Uh, really to get excited about there offensively. Okay. Uh, last one on our prospects assemble, Brock Burke, who came up. Only 4% owned. He went six, gave up four hits, no earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts, had a 3-9 ERA and 13 starts in the minors, uh, 64 strikeouts, 18 walks. That is between four levels, by the way, <laughs> through the Texas Rangers. Former Tampa Bay prospect, and he got that spot start. Looked pretty solid. Anything on Brock Burke? Yeah, he looked okay. It wasn't really a start that in isolation gets me excited. And the minor league numbers are less than great. They're 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 solid. Um but I need to see more is is and you know, the fact he's probably getting sent down right after this start, you know, there there's no reason to pursue Brock Burke. Yeah, and he was the and as I mentioned before, he was the guy that was set up to be the um he was set up to be the 26th man. So maybe he gets another spot start you can monitor. Good to see that he was positive in the spot start, but you can uh, keep going with that. Uh, nothing really to fully, fully update you on outside of the Diamondbacks in the games in progress. By the way, Diamondbacks are now up 8-3 to three on the Rockies, and Clayton Kershaw, it looks like he's going to be in line for a win as Sean Reed Foley was getting rocked 8-2 to two Dodgers over the uh, Blue Jays. So Clayton Kershaw continues to look good. Nick Ahmed, who actually we're going to talk about here in just a minute. So let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll go through a bunch of hitters. We'll go through some pitchers, and we will try to get to a couple of your emails. Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Scott White, undervalued hitters. I have got four for you. You tell me where you go with this. Who is the undervalued guy and who is the must-own? Willie Calhoun, only 65% owned in CBS. It is 12th homer. He's got hits in seven of his last nine games. Fifth homer in August. J.D. Davis, your boy. I saw you have to tell somebody to drop J.D. Davis on Twitter, and I felt like that hurt you a little bit, like deep down in your soul, so I felt bad. It did. Yeah, okay. 56% owned. He hit his 15th homer. Coming into Tuesday, he was hitting 377 in August. Uh, in the month of August, Ahmed Rosario, 16 hits in his last six games, 65% owned, and Nick Ahmed, 50, only 56% owned, uh, tied for the least owned here, hit his 17th homer, 17th homer on Tuesday, fourth home run in his last seven days. So who is truly undervalued of this group of four? Well, it's really who isn't. And I think it's Ahmed Rosario, whose status is elevated right now because he's batting leadoff for the Mets. That shouldn't be for long. McNeil's IL stay is figures to be a short one. And it's mostly singles. Like, And every time Rosario's um, been showing us something in the past, it's it's been singles that have carried them. And singles aren't something that are to be relied upon for long, not to mention they're just not that valuable in and of themselves. So... You know, I kind of answered the opposite of your question. I mean, if the most undervalued to me is J.D. Davis, I've been over it several times. I mean, his his season long numbers are awesome. And the XBA, the XWOBA, they both suggest he's even better than that. So, I mean, the kind of contact he's making is first rate. Um, 
But I like all the other three, even Ahmed. I just want to, and, and I've found a way to talk about all of them, which is not <laughs> what we want to do. But even Ahmed, I just want to point out, he's the number 13 shortstop in points leagues this year. Mm. Number 13. A little lower in Roto. I think he's like 17th in Roto. But still, I mean, that's a guy who just isn't getting credit for the kind of year he's having. And a lot of it has to do with staying healthy on a per-game basis. I'm sure he'd be lower. But regardless, 13th at what's regarded as a deep position is pretty good. Who to own? Kyle Seager, 48% owned. Hit his 17th homer. He's now got six home runs since August 13th. Jason, a.k.a. Joe Kipnis. 42% 42% owned, hit his 13th August, uh, coming into Tuesday, hitting 274 and hit his fourth home run in the month of August. So who to own, Kyle Seeger or Jason Joe Kipnis? I have a much greater need for Kipnis. I feel like the kind of streak Kipnis is on, basically since mid-June, he's been a 900 OPS guy, and I, I see more reason to buy into it than this latest power binge for Seeger. Um, and plus nobody's needs at third base. Nobody has a need at third base. Like I pointed out earlier, it's just so deep. Yeah. Uh, deeper options. Are these guys, even somebody in the deepest of leagues you're looking to pick up Josh Naylor who eh, Josh Naylor six, only 6% on, but he did it his seventh home run and is getting some starts in San Diego. And we talked about Josh Van Meter, only 24% owned hits in 10 of his last 12 games. He also stole his fifth bag. So, you know, 16 team leagues, are you flying in either one of these guys, or is it a move on? I, I Van Meter in a deep league. I, he's basically the primary first baseman now with Votto on the IL. And, uh, you know, still hasn't been playing much against lefties. But I think that could change if he gets hot enough. Okay. Uh, let's talk about this guy, Tim Anderson. Two for three with a homer and a double uh, against Minnesota, hitting three thirty one with 16 steals and 20 attempts. Uh, previous 20 game sims coming off the IL 369. I believe that's five homers in there, a steal, 886 OPS, but a 435 Babip. Did Tim is Tim Anderson the real deal? Well, I mean, this kind of a going into next year conversation, but he's kind of you know a little bit of injury, but just an awesome start to the year. We talked about you know, we talked about shortstops with uh, Carlos Correa and everything like that. Where is Tim Anderson on the Believo meter? Oh, he's probably about a three. Like you mentioned the Babbitt there for the season, the Babbitt is right around 400. Uh, the injury kind of prevented it. You know, he missed so much time with the injury. And I, I guess he deserves credit for coming back just as hot, but it's, it's kind of prevented that number from normalizing. And the fact he's just stolen only one base in 20 games since returning. I mean, that's the main thing I want from Tim Anderson. Cause I don't think he, I don't think he really has the potential to be a 300 hitter. If I were to ask you 2020 Tim Anderson versus Bo Bichette, it's as easily Bo Bichette for you, right? Easily. Okay, easy, easy. All right. Uh, some double dongs on Tuesday. Freddie Freeman hit his 32nd and 33rd. Anthony Rizzo hit his 24th and 25th, just strengthening the position that we know. How about some middle-of-the-pack pitchers here? I think we talked about, oh, we already talked about those guys, so we don't have to do that. How about we don't do it? How about we go to fringy pitchers, two of them for you, Cal Quantrill, I feel like, God, I feel like we've talked about him so much since I've been on here, but 58% owned, went six, gave up three, struck out nine. He's got seven straight games going at at least five and not giving up more than three earned runs. He also tied his career high in strikeouts with those nine versus a guy like Reynaldo Lopez, who went six, gave up six hits, three earned runs, no walks, three strikeouts. The team ended up, you know, getting rocked uh, a little bit after, but He's got Texas and Atlanta, his next two starts. So, fringy-ish starting pitchers, Cal Quantrill or Reynaldo Lopez? I would lean Quantrill right now, partly because he hasn't had the chances to let us down the way Lopez has over the years. Um, you know, Lopez had a nice little stretch there right after the All-Star break where he was throwing harder and seemed like the strikes were strikeouts were picking up, but they're back down. Uh, Quantrill, the strikeouts haven't been great either, but you know, if he has more starts like this one, then we'll have to start paying attention. Nine strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes is a decent number. Uh, okay. I'll keep an eye on him. Okay. Uh, some deeper league guys, Dylan Bundy went seven, only 30% owned in CBS right now, went seven, gave up five hits, one earned run, walked two, struck out seven, does have a five ERA. Uh, he's got Tampa Bay this week and Kansas City next week. Your guy, Eliezer Hernandez, 
only went four, uh, three hits. Blister. And uh, left with the blister. Left with the blister. Uh, gave up one earned run, five strikeouts. And I'm even going to throw this guy in here, Alex Young, with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, 43% owned, a little bit more than deeper. Went six, gave up three earned runs, struck out four in uh, Tuesday's outing against the Colorado Rockies. Deeper leagues, where are you at on these three guys? I would say Hernandez is probably still my favorite. I hate that he pitches for the Marlins because there are going to be issues with wins there. And I don't know. I mean, maybe this blister issue puts him on the IL. Also significantly lower owned than any. I mean, 30% by Bundy, 43% for Alex Young, and only 11% for Hernandez. Yeah. I mean, and that was true in his previous stint in the rotation when he was pitching even better. Uh, It's been up and down his return to the rotation, but... I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of interested in him. I, I don't think he's must own or anything like that. Bundy. Bundy, like I, I still think we have yet to see the best of Dylan Bundy in the majors, but this season is a lost cause. Yeah, as soon as he's not an Oriole, that's when we'll see the best of Dylan Bundy. That's what I believe. <laughs> well, like Maybe. most of those. Jake Arietta situation. Yeah, or any of them, uh, for sure. A little bit of rotation here. Bunch of the guys that you guys know and you own and you start pretty much every starting out here. But uh Strasburg went seven. Didn't give up an earned run, struck out six. Sonny Gray went six, gave up one earned run, three walks, 10 strikeouts, which is the second straight game with 10 strikeouts. And he gave up his first earned run since July, Scott. Sonny Gray, I mean, has anybody in the second half improved their stock for 2020 than Sonny Gray? Or is it something that still is just unbelievable? No, I'm glad you brought it up. I actually did every quarter of the season. I do a dynasty update where I give the five biggest risers, the five fallers, the five prospects uh, who've improved their stock the most as well. So 15 players total. I write about who's seen a change in value in dynasty leagues. And Sonny Gray was among the five risers this year. Still only 29 years old. I mean, pitchers can pitch into their mid thirties. Feels like he's like 35. Yeah. Um, and he's, I think he's kind of, you know, his his unfortunate experience in New York where they had him uh, kind of emphasize his breaking ball beyond a level he was comfortable. I mean, it's it's a good breaking ball, so you understand why they did it. But now he's back to leading with the fastball, kind of has those ground ball specialist mentality, and that's kind of what he was in Oakland. But he's, he's able, when he gets ahead of the count, to put hitters away now with that breaking ball. And it's just kind of made the best of... It's the best of both worlds now. It's a very good pitcher. And it's interesting, too, because he's kind of, you know, over the last second, or really the second half of the season, been better than any of the guys we're kind of talking about. Strasburg has been solid. Aaron Nola's been a little up and down. He went seven, gave up two earned runs, walked one, struck out seven. Shane Bieber went six, gave up two earned runs, walked one, also struck out seven. Wish Azer was here, because Dallas Keuchel, who's 95% owned. What's up, everybody? Six innings. He gave up two earned, walked two, and struck out seven. And Cole Hamels, this one's a little bit more important, 96% owned. He had a rebound game. His last two starts, he had combined to go five innings, gave up 12 earned runs. But in this one, he went six, gave up three, walked two, and struck out five. So we're a little bit back to comfortable with Cole Hamels, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, (laughs) I wasn't reading too much into the two awful starts, except that they were... Soon after him, he was returning from the IL, and that's always kind of a makes for a sticky situation. But you know, I'm yeah. I'm encouraged by you this know, start. Definitely, I was talking. I don't want to go on a tangent here because we're getting towards the end of the show. But uh, Scott Bogman and I were talking this week over an ITL about like I want to know what's going on with the pitching coaches or what's happening in Chicago with the rebounds you're seeing of like, I mean, look at you Darvish, you Darvish is coming back to elite status. Cole Hamels this year has been fantastic, except as of recent, Jose Quintana seems to be turning it around. I, I just wonder if there was, so, is there something that altered with all of these guys? Like if it was one guy, okay, but it seems like a lot of guys have found some type of alteration that has made them kind of all, I don't know if they're all returned to form, but are you with me on that? Like, I know you, Jose Quintana, you guys aren't true believers in, but I know you're kind of back with Darvish. I just feel like there's something in the water over there right now that's cooking for pitchers. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a coaching thing or not. It, it may be. I don't know much about the Cubs pitching coach, uh, to be honest. So, you know, he was just hired this offseason. 
So uh, I, I don't know much about him. Thomas, uh, do you know how to pronounce the name even? I don't even know that. I was born in 1981. My gosh, he could be my older oh brother. Oh my gosh, he's two years older than me. Yeah. That's terrifying. Really, you reflect on your life when you go that. I don't know. I I want to I want to dig deeper. I want to um I want to pick around and maybe we'll come back to that because it just it seems like there's been a resurgence with Cubs pitching as of late. Maybe that's just yeah. Me. There has. I mean, you you spelled it out nicely. All of those guys are kind of rounding into form, and and Kyle Hendricks has had kind of a resurgence season overall. He's yeah. been low key one of the uh, I mean the ace of the staff really. Yeah. Uh, by the way, little update, as you said, no doubt Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette, double dong, two homers in oh, this nice. game. Oh, nice. Yeah, so beautiful. Bo, so, Bo. Seventh home run. Uh, Dodgers are still up, and as I mean, as we're recording this, it's the top of the sixth. Clayton Kershaw looks like he's still in line. He's still pitching and still in line for a quality start in the win, but a uh, little bit of Bobo in there. All right, let's finish off with just a couple emails. You down? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Moshe from Brooklyn, Moshe. I don't know. Dear Pete, Fernando, Mike, and Alex. What would that be? Pete, Fernando, Mike, and Alex. Ooh. Ah. People with first names on the New York Mets. I don't know. I feel like there's a connection. Like I, I feel like I almost know it. I'm gonna try Google. Okay. Here. I'm gonna read the rest of this. I love the show, and while I miss Adam, Chris has been doing a great job. Well, thank you. However, unless I missed it, we have not gotten Chris's take on two very important topics, and it is a must. Number one, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, man. Why are you doing this to me? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say it's not. I mean, it's set. Oh, this is the right podcast for you, sir. It's set in a Christmas setting, but it is not a Christmas movie. It is an action movie. If I go onto Netflix and I go under a Christmas section, Die Hard will not be there. It will be under the action category. So, no, sir. It is not a Christmas movie. Number two is... That's the right take. Okay, good. We're all, well, we're all At least it. Adam and I would think so. I'm not sure any of the others who you haven't podcasted it, with yet would, but... Uh, what about... Is anybody else's Towers? Is he uh, action or Christmas? I think he would say it's Christmas. That and sounds. I know Heath Cummings would definitely say it's Christmas, but they are wrong. wrong. Uh, number two is Butterfinger a great candy, an awful one, or somewhere in between? Oh, I feel like this is a big test. I got to tell you, it's pretty dang good candy. Yeah, I'm not a chocolate like guy. guy. I'm not a big chocolate guy. Not saying I won't eat chocolate. If you've ever physically seen me, you would think that's a guy that eats chocolate. I'm more of a sour guy, though. I love Sour Patch Kids. I love. I'll give me those like really hard warheads. I love sour. So that's yeah, my those jam. like burn your tongue. They're so sour. Yeah. Well, I got like weird. I, too. I, got, I like weird. Sour I like habits. both chocolate and sour. How do you like that? Oh, oh, is there a chocolate sour item out there? <laughs> <laughs> is there someone that does that? That doesn't sound like a pleasant mix. I, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm willing to try. But yes, no Butterfinger. Who doesn't think Butterfinger is a good candy? Um, a lot of people don't. I, I don't think Adam does. I'm not sure. I, I definitely do. Like every Halloween, that's like my go-to when I'm digging through the kids' candies. Like, give me the Butterfingers. Oh, yeah. That's like top Some three. people don't like the way it sticks in your teeth. Eh. But I mean, it's fine I, by me. You know what? You're right. Because Adam's... He, necessarily dislike that. Adam forwarded this to me, and he's like, the answer to both of these better be no. And I was like, well, one is no. Uh, so there you go. I, I dig a Butterfinger. By the way, uh, Pete, Fernando, Mike, Alex, probably the leading contenders for NL Rookie of the Year, Alonzo, Tatis, uh, Mike Soroka, and Alex Verdugo. Oh, that's a good one. How did you pull that? I you're a Googled smart their man. Name. Well, because you're Scott White. You're a smart man. Okay. <laughs> you Googled their name. What a, I'm a, what an idiot. I'm like, <laughs> how'd you do that? You're like, well, I use this computer <laughs> and the internet. It's great. Uh, Jonathan says, good morning or evening. Quick question, with the rosters expanding soon, who are some notable names to stash to help for the fantasy baseball playoffs? Hitters or starting pitchers? He's in a 12-team, 5x5 standard categories league. I mean, that is a, that's a opened, uh, that's a loaded question, if you will, with September call-ups, because I feel like some of the names we would want to say, like a guy like Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux hit his 25th homer on Tuesday night, by the way, 14th, I believe, in AAA. He's a madman. I'm going to give you a, a reverse piece of advice real quick, and then we'll get Scott's take if you're looking for prospects. My reverse piece of advice is watch what's going on with the Arizona Fall League right now. They're doing this weird bit where every day they're releasing like a player, a big star player on each team. Royce Lewis uh, was on Monday. Joey Bart was on Tuesday. 
I think you might see a guy like Gavin Lux actually show up on that list, which would take him off of the prospects that you wouldn't see. I think Joe Adele would be another one. So that might be a little bit of a head. But what do you think? Do you got a couple guys that you're stashing with rosters expanding? Wait, so you're saying if he's announced for the Arizona Fall League, he's not going to come up in September? Yeah, oh, he might come up, but I don't think he plays much of anything. Hmm. And he would be gone by September 18th. Because September 18th, yeah, well, actually the 16th for practices. Uh, Arizona Fall League starts I mean, couldn't they just announce them and then say, never mind? Uh, Absolutely. You know what? Absolutely. It could happen with Victor Robles, but they've also been so apprehensive, I think. And I think if you see the announcement, it's because they've made the commitment. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Gavin Lux is the type of player that they would do during the release of the Fall League rosters. And the full rosters will be released, I believe, on Sunday. So be on the lookout for that. The only prospects I think of great note who um i think are intentionally may intentionally be being held back till september are kyle tucker and uh and lux who could what when i say of great note both they have the kind of upside you're looking for and i think they could emerge as full-timers legitimately in september most september call-ups are there just to help out and they're usually not the most exciting names so it's i think it's an overrated uh well to try and tap I yeah. guess. Uh Carter Keyboom would be another one. I'd say go out, go back up and pick up Carter Keyboom because okay. yeah. I think I think he's a stud and he should there's no reason he shouldn't be back up getting a little bit of a run. All right, two more quick ones. Uh this is Adam from Toronto. Who is a better pitcher to own this season, Lazardo or Pablo Lopez? Points league. Thank you. Definitely going to aim for the upside of Lazardo, though Pablo Lopez is I I think a pretty good option. 1000% agree. That's an easy one. Last one, Dan, dear Chris, Adam, Scott, and Heath Sigh. I don't have the sound effect, so I can't play it. Uh, I'm in a little bit of a pickle in my situation with closers. 12-team points league. I'm trying to lock up a lock up a first or second seed and we'll get the buy. What are they saying? I'm trying to lock up by first and second seeds, which will get a buy. I think he's just trying to get one of those. I'm in second yeah. with two weeks left until the playoffs. Would you drop any of these closers for Emilio Pagan? The closers to drop are Felipe Vasquez, Edwin Diaz, or Ken Giles. He says all these guys had first uh, good first halves, but have been non-factor since the All-Star break. Any help would be great. I mean, Diaz isn't the Mets closer right now, so that seems like the easy choice. I think he will be again before the season's done, but um, you know, Vasquez is fine. He just hasn't gotten many chances lately, and Giles has been hurt, so... Diaz is the one I would drop. I think that's a pretty easy choice there. Good stuff. That is all that we have for you. We will be back with you again tomorrow right here. Fantasy Baseball today. Until then, later, everybody. Later, everybody.